we are in uh, our current series for the summer, and the series is on David. So we continue that story today, and we find ourselves in chapter 21. Last week, we had Glenn take us through a few chapters, and we looked at Saul and David and Jonathan and the different aspects of those characters and how we can be those characters. And today, I want to speak to us a bit about sanctuary. And we uh, come to this place. David has now just met with Jonathan. Jonathan has given him the heads up that, David, you need to get out of here. It's not safe no longer for your life. Saul, my father, wants to kill you, and you need to run. You need to leave. So chapter 21, we have the story of where does David run, the first place David runs to, and that's in chapter 21, and it's called uh, David at Nob. So David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Or Sorry, Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked him, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there on that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Ella, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephah. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. That's a little bit more of the story. And then we'll, we'll kind of come back possibly to, uh, to Samuel 22 just to close off some of the story in regards to uh, Goed. But right now we see that David, the first place he runs to, is the sanctuary at Nam, where he finds Ahimelech. And a sanctuary is it's a place where we pay attention to God. It's a place where the truth of God is treasured, where it's honored. It's a place for remembering the events of God, uh, in which God has been really clearly and active, powerful in our lives. Those, that's the place a sanctuary is. David arrives at this sanctuary in Nob, and he's desperate. His life is hanging in the balance. He's desperate, and he runs to this holy place. He runs to this sanctuary. 
And at the moment, probably the, the only thing on David's mind is the fact that he's running and he's worried about his physical life. But in fact, what David needs is much more. He needs help maintaining a God-attentive life. See, David, he's flooded with distractions. He's just experienced heartache and betrayal from Saul. And now he had to leave his friend and his family and everything behind. And the world around him is crumbling under his feet. And David, like us often, seems to have lost his awareness of who God is in his life. He needs to be reminded of the anointing of the service and the prayer that God had placed upon him to activate this God life in him. But everything that makes him who he is has been threatened and under attack. So he comes to the sanctuary. He comes to this holy place. And as we let this story work itself into our lives, we can realize that the sanctuary and the holy place isn't only the place where we become more aware of the connection that we can have with God and his aware, the awareness of who he is in our lives. But like David, we can come and receive bread and sword. We can receive strength for the day, and we can receive a weapon for the fight. And it's interesting that in the, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, both, both of those words, bread and sword, are both associated with the scripture, with God's word, with the word of God being those things. So both the words, God is the word, uh, bread is the word of God, sword is the word of God. So when we're pushed to our boundaries, when we're pushed to that place of uh, running away, the boundaries of our existence, we're running for our lives, we have no provision, we feel like we have no weapon, we seek sanctuary, we seek a holy place, we seek hopefully his presence. In this encounter of sanctuary and holy place, we often uncover something very special and surprising. We discover that life in his presence. We discover that there is a life-giving, deepening in his presence that we can have. We enter weakened and endangered, but we leave strengthened and equipped for the journey ahead. And that's where David is as he comes to this sanctuary. Now... David is not some character that we can look at and see as a moral code that we ought to copy. He's not a person whose actions uh, should inspire us to you know, be exactly as David was. What David's story and David's character does for us is it brings us to this reality of a real life, of a God life. It comes to this place where we realize this is a character who is not perfect, but yet he's a character who doesn't quit, who keeps going, who keeps seeking and searching after God. We don't improve our morals or our ethics and our standards with David. What we do is we deepen our human reality. We learn not only real life lessons, but we learn God lessons. I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says this, oftentimes in our lives, we lose the connection between who God is and who we are. We say the name God. We enter the sanctuary. We pray. But often, the slightest tone of falsehood begins to creep in. A subtle dishonesty that gets into our speech and our actions. The religious place offers an occasion to use God instead of submitting to him. 
Instead of becoming more before God, we become less. And David is antidote, is an antidote to this. We read David to cultivate a sense of reality for a true life, an honest life, a God-aware and a God-responsive life. David comes to the sanctuary, the holy place, and he's distraught. And the first thing he does is he lies. He comes to Ahimelech and he says, I'm here on a mission. The king sent me. That's why I don't have any men. I just need some stuff from you. He comes with dishonesty in his heart, but he comes desperate. He comes desperate. And the first thing he asks for is bread. David asks for bread. But the priest has no bread, or at least no common bread. All he has is the consecrated bread, as we read. And it's called the bread of the presence. You can respond at any time. <laughs> Just to make sure you're, you're still with me. The bread of the presence. Okay? And in those days, that was placed on the altar each week. And after the week, they would take the old bread and they could eat it. But the only ones that could eat it were the priests. So it was still sacred. So David, he would have known that such bread was not to be eaten by just some hungry warrior, some ordinary men, and some soldiers. But nevertheless, David, he comes here and he's insisting on having it. He's saying, give me that bread. I know it's for the priests, but I need it. I'm desperate and I need this. I need this bread. He lies about his, mis- his mission. He deceives to gain what he wants. He was on a royal mission, he said. And the men who would accompany him, they were consecrated for the work. They were okay, too. They were holy men. They could receive this bread, is what he's saying. Don't worry, Ahimelech. I got this. I just need you to cooperate. And it's interesting that Ahimelech, he bent the rules. And he gave him the bread. He gives him the bread. Ahimelech was no literalist. He was not meticulously keeping the sanctuary perfect. He discerned the spirit of the rules, and he permitted David to take this bread. He discerned this. And it's interesting that a millennial later, Jesus comments on this incident. And he actually commends Ahimelech in saying, you know, he commends Ahimelech for breaking the letter of the law and serving the spirit in this holy place. So David, he comes, he asks for the bread, and then he asks for a weapon. Next, David asks for a weapon, and interesting enough, what weapon is there at the sanctuary of Nob? There you go, Goliath's sword. Goliath's sword is there. The very sword that David himself brought back after this amazing uh, salvation story of God breaking through and helping the Israelites, David brings this back. And the sword now is this memorial piece in the sanctuary. It's this piece that whenever someone would come to the sanctuary, they would see this sword and remember, the God of our salvation who rescued us from the Israelites. And here is David in need of something. Remember, he's running for his life. He doesn't just need this material sword, but he needs a reminder. He needs to be awakened to the awareness of a God who is still the one that gave him that sword. He needs to be attentive to the God that is still his shepherd, that is still his bread, his portion. He needs to be awakened and attentive to the God that rescued him from Goliath. The sword is still his to carry and go. And God has led him to this place and will keep leading him through. 
Oftentimes, when we come to a sanctuary, we come for bread, for a portion, for his presence. And we need that reminder. We need the reminder of those things that maybe we've placed in our sanctuary or our holy place. Those altars that we created that remind us, God got me through here. He's going to get me through again. So he asks for this weapon. It's interesting that Ahimelech and David had different ideas of what the sanctuary was for that day. And David's approach overcame. And Ahimelech let it succeed. Ahimelech, he was hesitant, and he wasn't quite sure of what was going on, but he didn't stand in the way. In the sanctuary, is the sanctuary, is the holy place, is it a place of quiet dignity, where voices are lowered, where good manners are cultivated? Is it a place to meditate, to reflect, to remember? Is it a place of reverence and awe? Is it a place of traditional tradition and ritual? Yes, it is. But it's also so much more. It's so much more. It's also a place at times where we get emergency help, like David. A place where we are just in need. We're in need, and we need bread for the journey, and we need a sword for the fight. And David came empty-handed with false testimony and even a deceiving heart. And yet, he came alone, and he came abandoned, forgetting the God, his shepherd, his provider, his shield, his fortress, all those things that he sings about, he forgot. But David came to the sanctuary without food for his stomach and without a weapon, and he leaves with a full stomach. And he leaves equipped for a tiring battle that's going to come next. And someone else is going to carry that story and, and, and help us see that those, those areas of, of his battle that comes. But right now, he's gaining a new awareness, and he's gaining a reminder that God that brought him through to this point is the same God that is going to be with him again. So sanctuary. Let's use sanctuary to represent all holy places, and let's not just restrict it to the customary churches or temples, cathedrals or chapels. Again, I, I want to reference Eugene Peterson. He says this about holy places and sanctuaries. He says, A holy place is used to designate otherness. The purity and the beauty of God. God is holy. It is where we become aware that there's more to life than meets the eye, and that more is other. And the other is God, and he's mystery. And our appropriate approach to God is in awe and reverence, in humble and submissive worship. God, who is beyond us, is also at hand. The holy is often experienced in that which is not God. A holy mountain, a sacred stone, holy women and holy men, sacred trees, holy words, sacred songs that we sing, and even physical holy places like we are in today. So, a sanctuary can possibly be, for you, maybe it's a garden. Maybe it's a mountain. Maybe it's a desert, or an automobile, or a closet. I want us, today, to not define the holy places that are usually maintained by a priest or a pastor, but, and, and or normally just referred to as a location for worship, but for us to kind of think beyond the norm. To view sanctuary and holy places where we encounter God. 
Where do you encounter God? Where do I encounter God? Where do we encounter God? Places where at times would have never, we would have never expected to encounter God. For example, Jacob and his stone pillow. Jacob, also on the run, comes to this place, decides to have a nap, and he puts his head on a stone pillow, and all of a sudden, heaven opens, and there's angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And so often, like Jacob, we awaken and we say these words. We say, God was here, and I didn't even realize it. Or Moses, who is also on the run, comes to the desert, away from Egypt. And he's there in the desert. And what does he discover? A burning bush. He encounters God in the place that you would not expect it from a burning bush. Or Peter, the disciple... His holy place was in a fishing boat after he had been discouraged and forgot about the promises that his Messiah had told him. He takes off to go and do what he just normally knows how to do. But there on that boat, he hears the voice, cast your nets on that side. And he encounters the risen Messiah once again. So let us think of this revelation, can we, be, can we be released into a new awareness and a revelation of the holy God that we serve and that he is ever-present? To experience God in the tradition of liturgy and doctrine, yes, to do that. But to also see the hand of our creator in the complexity of the roses. Or maybe to sense the wind of God's Holy Spirit in the rhythm of the ocean waves. Like Jesus to take a place of solitude away from the crowds, away from the people, to escape into quiet, secluded, protected places that may not be a physical building like this, but where we can encounter God, where we can get away from the craziness of the world and even the messiness of family, where we encounter him and experience his presence. Again, I'll quote Eugene Peterson. He says this. He says, The spirituality of a sanctuary is fundamental to the Christian life. We need, sanct- we need sanctuaries to run to in order to sustain ourselves with what is necessary to live. God and God's provision for living in, dang- in a dangerous world that's hostile to our faith. Holy places are necessary for holy living. But here's the thing. David wasn't the only visitor to the sanctuary at Nob that day. As we read, there was another man sitting off to the side watching the way that David came and how he lied to Ahimelech, how he took the sword of Goliath and how he left. Doeg the Edomite was in the sanctuary that day. And it says that he was there for religious ceremony. It says that he was detained of the Lord in that place. So it doesn't give us a description of what was happening, but for most uh, you can think that he's there because in, in their time, detained of the Lord, maybe he had to be there for a religious ceremony. He had to spend a few days doing some religious activity to cleanse him or purify him of maybe something that he had done. So he's there. And most likely he's there and he doesn't want to be there. But he's there. He's there in that holy place and in that sanctuary. And wha- rather than being there to seek God, rather than being there to encounter God. He's there for religious duties. 
And rather than having his eyes turned towards heaven, his eyes are turned to everyone else who is there. And, you know, we can take that as an example and say, when we come to this place, when we come to our holy places, do we come like David, sometimes just distraught, but at least we're humble in humility and there's a desperation for God and we come before him? Or do we come to just check the box like Doeg? I'm here, I'll check the box, I made my appointment. And rather than seeking God with humility and submission, we're looking around at everyone else. Who's here today? Who's not? Who's singing? Who's not? Did I come with a heart? Because this is what it's about. It's, it's not about whether you raise your hands. It's not about whether you sing. What it is about is the posture of our heart. What is the posture of your heart when you come not only to this place, but to any place that you are calling a holy place to encounter God? Do you come to encounter Him as David, humble, uh, uh, desperate, and hungry? Or do you come like Doeg, who came and was present, but yet not present? He isn't looking up to God. He's just looking at David. So, wonderful things happen in sanctuaries. On the run, we stop at a holy place and we can find that there's more to life than the circumstance that we find ourselves in. We perceive God in, our, in and around us and at times, new life can flood into our hearts and we discover a piece of our lives that maybe we have long forgotten. Maybe there's a dream that we have forgotten about a prophecy that God has given or a promise that he's given to us. And there it's restored or we remember. And in that place of prayer, a piece of evidence that God, he still is with us. That he is there, he is here and we leave that place like David. We leave restored, revived and redeemed. But terrible things also happen in sanctuaries. We can use religious ritual to insulate ourselves from people who we've come to despise. And we can get prideful and we can stop by a holy place simply to cultivate a sense of superiority and mark that pride appointment. I went to church today. You didn't. I was in my holy place. I prayed for two hours today. Did you pray? And we can make these things that are supposed to be, these disciplines that are supposed to be helpful and healthy in our lives and we can use them as pride and we can use them rather than to encounter God, to simply use it for our own agenda. And we can, if we're not careful, leave. Not restored, revived, and redeemed, but we can leave callous, cold, and conniving. If you are like me, have grown up in church, you know that sometimes church can be an unhealthy place. If we don't have a heart that is postured to encounter God, to learn of grace and forgiveness, oftentimes it's the first place we're hurt. It's the place that we soon abandon because of what has been done to us or what we've experienced there. So every time we enter a holy place, we become aware of God's presence, a holy God. And we can leave either better or we can leave worse. Our goal as we come to separate ourselves, is our goal to come and separate ourselves from others? Or is it to come and be with God, be with each other, create community, love and grace? Will we leave as Doeg? Or will we leave as David? Will we enter hungry and needy, letting ourselves be vulnerable to God? Or will we leave like Doeg? If you continue to read at home chapter 22, Doeg later comes to Saul and tells Saul that David was at the temple. He was at the sanctuary. 
And he says, David went and Ahimelech helped him. So Saul gets furious and angry and he goes to Ahimelech and asks him, did you help David? And Ahimelech says, how was I to know? David has always been trustworthy. He's been your right-hand man. How was I to know that he was not on mission for you? But Saul, in his anger, doesn't want to see through it. So he asks his soldiers, he says, I want you to kill Ahimelech and the priests. And the soldiers, they say, no, we will not touch the Lord's anointed. We won't touch them. So Saul turns to Doeg, and he says, get rid of them. And if you read the story, it says that Doeg, he kills all of them. He kills all the priests. He kills women and children. He gets rid of everyone in that land. We can be in a holy place. We need to discover the awareness of who God is. And we need to come with a posture of humility and brokenness and, and, and honor before God. To close, I want to fast forward us to Jesus. Because I always want to bring it back to him as well and see his example. And there's a story of Mary, and she comes to the holy place of a table. And at that table, there's the bread of presence reclining. Jesus himself is there. And she comes desperate and in need, and she comes broken and humble. And she has an alabaster box with her full of perfume, and she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus, and she worships him. And she weeps at his feet. And she's in this holy place. And there's others in this holy place. There's the disciples. There's the host of the home, Simon. And they look at her and say, What is she doing? Why is she? She's not even welcome here. She's a woman. Why is she even here bugging the Messiah? But she comes desperate, desiring to worship. And Jesus commends her. And he says to them, she will be remembered. She will be remembered for her worship, for her love, for her desperation of what she's done. Do we come humble, breaking our own boxes of what we think in this holy place, and not just here, but wherever we desire to encounter God? This week, as I was praying, God begin to show me some revelation in my own life and I'll I'll share it quickly with you because maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, how do I get to this encounter? What do I do when I find my holy mountain? What do I do when I discover and encounter God while I'm driving in my car? Because that for me was where I encountered God often before I came here. As I worked construction, I spent probably 70% of my day in in the car and that became my holy place. The place where I'd worship, where I'd cry and where I'd weep for God, where I would listen to messages, where I'd worship Him, where I'd discover Him. It doesn't have to be here in this physical space. So wherever you are, wherever you're discovering and encountering God, He showed me three things that I want to just leave you with to help you. And and part of this image is, have you ever seen the germination of a seed and what that looks like? Yes? No? Yes? He showed me that as I come before him, something that will help me to encounter him is to praise, worship, and prayer. And we've all know this, right? And I I knew this. I'm like, okay, well, that's great, God. Like, praise, worship, and prayer. I, I do that. But he gave me this image that has helped me to structure 
uh, my encounters with him in a different way. He says that praise is like preparing the soil. It's like you're digging the hole. So as you come, maybe you come to this place on a Sunday morning at 1030 and, 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 and you start with praise. And praise is the, it's the thanksgiving. It's saying, thank you, Lord. It's the holy, holy, holy. As Jesus started his, his prayer, he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's that thanksgiving. The praise is us preparing the soil. It's saying, God, may you increase in my life and may I decrease. May you be honored. May you be glorified as I dig the hole to prepare my worship. And my worship is the seed. It's my giving. It's my sacrifice. What am I bringing to you? I'm bringing my life. I'm bringing who I am. I'm bringing myself. And so worship is, it's sacrifice. It's humility. It's breaking down and putting that seed in. And then prayer. Prayer is the hard stuff. It's the watering. It's allowing him to then cover that seed with dirt. And you feel at times in the darkest place. And you know nothing but darkness. And you feel from time to time maybe a little bit of refreshing. And that refreshing is watered by God. And it softens the seed. And as I pray and I get intimate, then all of a sudden, as my heart softens, change and transformation happens. As I come before him with humility and reverence, all of a sudden something begins to crack open and growth begins to happen and that seed begins to resurrect through dirt. And all of a sudden you have a plant or a tree or a fruit. That's a, I've got to take that. I, I want to share that and I'm going to use it, and I want to make myself intentional when I'm doing this in my holy place. But then on Friday, I asked God one more question. I said, well, what does that look like for those that are mature? I said, God, I've, you know, I've, I've already been doing that some way. What, if, what, if, what do I do when the tree is already, it's uprooted, and it's been fruitful for years? It says it still continues. It still continues, because the praise is when you look at that beautiful tree and you say, I did none of this. I thank you for who I am, for what I have, for what you've done in my life, because I know that it was not me that did this, but it was you. So your praise still continues with thanksgiving and recognition that he is the one who has drawn this to me. And the worship, it still continues too with the giving and the sacrifice. But now sometimes it's not just giving and sacrificing to him, it's taking the fruit that he's given you and bringing healing to someone else. And feeding them with the fruit that he's given you. To say, here, this is my worship now as I give that to you. And the prayer, well, that just, that continues. And sometimes it's what we heard when Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the vine maker. And that's where the prayer becomes the pruning. And because he takes certain things still as we come to him humbly and we say, here I am still. I know I've got a lot of fruit, and I know, but I still need to be pruned. And he begins to prune us and still brings change and transformation into our lives. So if I can encourage you today and this morning, find a holy place. Maybe it is this physical place that you come to. But maybe it's in your vehicle. Maybe it's in your garden as you're planting. Maybe it's around the table as you have coffee with your friends. Whatever that place is, may you know that there is a God that is ever-present within you who desires you to have an awareness that he is always with you, that he is there 
And just like David, if you're running and you're afraid, you can find a sanctuary to encounter him, where you will be strengthened, where you'll be given bread for the day and a weapon for the journey to fight against whatever it is that you're dealing with. Amen? Amen.